All right, we are week number four, week number four of A Lap with a Legend. And in case you're just joining us or you're here visiting for Father's Day, let me kind of give you the premise of the series. So the idea is, is that we have all these people, these men and women of scripture that have done great job, obviously. They're heroes of the faith and they're sitting in the grandstands, pom-poms in their hands. They're cheering us on in our races of life. And our theme verse for this whole series is Hebrews 12, verse one, which says, therefore, and when you see therefore, we know it's a continuation of Hebrews chapter 11, which is affectionately called the hall of fame of faith. It's character after character after character that did amazing things for God. And it says, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. In other words, these people, these men and women of faith are witnessing us in our race. They're watching us in our race. And since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. So the idea is, you've been to a football game. I gave that analogy a moment ago. And and you, you hear the crowd. If you've been on the field, you've heard the crowd. And it's very encouraging, but you can't hear individual voices. So what if we could pull out one of these characters week by week, one by one, have them take a lap with us on this track called life and say, what would you say to me? What advice would you give to me as I run with perseverance, the race marked out for me? And so today we're going to pull out of the stance, perhaps the most familiar name of the six that we're running alongside, and that is Jacob. Jacob. Jacob is the grandson of Abraham. We studied Abraham and Sarah two weeks ago. You can listen to those messages, by the way, on uh, iTunes or Google Play on our website or on Facebook Live. You can go back and look at our Facebook feed. Um, But Jacob is the son of Abraham's son, Isaac. Uh, There's a lot in the Bible about Jacob. In fact, we could probably do a six-week series just on Jacob alone and the advice that he would share to us. But today's talk is when life isn't turning out the way you hoped. When life, just, it isn't turning out the way that I had hoped, Pastor Reed, because what Jacob was guilty of is something I think a lot of us are guilty of, especially the men in the room, and that is we try to control our lives. We try to control our lives, and we try to direct things on our terms, and that usually ends really poorly. In fact, Jacob, literally from birth, like the second he was born, he was manipulating his life. You can read about it in Genesis chapter 27, but Jacob was a twin. Uh, His brother Esau came out of the womb first, but the Bible says Jacob reached out of the womb and grabbed Esau's ankle and says, get back in here, I'm coming out first, right? From the very beginning, Jacob was manipulating his way day one, and that pattern continued well into adulthood. He kept trying to write his own script instead of adhering to the one that God had already written for him. Psalm 139.16 says, all our days were written for us before one of them came to be. They're all in this book. God's got this book and they're all written in this book. But Jacob added a bunch of chapters and I think some of us do the same and that makes things incredibly messy. Many of us are putting things in our lives that aren't supposed to be there and it, it just, it's disastrous. Jacob wanted to be the firstborn badly. So a little bit of history, back in those days there was a belief that when you were the firstborn you had what's called a birthright. We don't really have that in our culture but a birthright had three things. It had power, So you were more powerful than all of your siblings for no other reason than you just were born first. So when your siblings would have an argument, they would come to you and say, hey, here's what we're thinking, here's what happened, here's what do you think? And you would be judge, jury, and executioner. So you had power, you had wealth. When the will was read from Isaac or any other of these fathers, they'd say, well, uh, the firstborn gets half 
and the rest of it is divided between all, they would automatically get more wealth for no other reason than I was born first. And there was also a belief that uh, there was a special blessing from God. God blesses all of his kids, but there was an extra special blessing that God would give to the one who had the birthright. So Jacob wanted the birthright, and one day Jacob tricked Esau, who was just, right, just a little bit ahead of him out of the womb, into selling the birthright because Esau became hungry and Jacob said, hey, I'll give you some stew if you give me your birthright. And that sounds like a really bad trade, but Esau traded his future for his appetite. I think a lot of us do that. Now that's another sermon for another day that I won't share today, but a lot of us will trade for power, for lust, for wealth, for whatever that is. We will trade our future away to obtain something today. Something as temporal as a bowl of stew. I've known many men who have done that, who have traded away women, who have traded away their families because their marriage isn't working well. And so instead of coming to my office and let's work through that and get you guys back on track and not just surviving, but thriving again, um, they decide to, to go fishing in other ponds and uh, then they lose their wife and they see their kids every other weekend and they lose their influence in Christendom with their kids. Their kids don't even respect them anymore. And they leave their le legacy. Why? Because the grass was a little greener over here. No, why don't you water your own lawn, bub? Let's, that's not even in my notes. That one's for free. All right. That's what happened. We do it all the time. We, we see a bowl of stew. Oh, that looks good. And that's what Esau did. So he sold his birthright. Jacob manipulated his brother. And then when Jacob was trying to get married, he manipulated that whole scene too. He wanted to marry one daughter, but his father-in-law wanted to marry off another daughter. So he worked 14 years and he got both of them. That was messy. What happens is Jacob ends up in a crisis. And I'm telling you all this because you can either listen to Jacob's story and learn for yourself, or you can live life and learn for yourself. And let me just tell you that it's a whole lot better to do it the first way. It's just easier if you, if you hear, oh, that's how, oh, I don't want to make that mistake. <laughs> it's just easier. Keeps you from uh, all the chaos. And if Jacob were here today, I think he'd say, let God have control of your life. That's what he'd say. Let God have control. If we're running that lap with that legend, hey, just let God have control. And listen, even Christians are guilty of, of not doing this. A lot of people call themselves Christians. They go to church, but they, they have some reservations with giving it all to God. Right? Well, God, I, I, I want to go to church, but you ain't touching my money and, uh, and, and nor my relationships. I don't know if I can trust you with my, or God, I, I, I want to give you my life, but you can't have my future or my career. I don't, I don't know what you got planned up there, but I'm not going, I'm, 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 I'll be in control. And we, we, I don't know why we do that. Perhaps it's because we're afraid it won't work out well. And if you've ever done that or are doing that currently, here's what you're going to find out. It will always lead to crisis. It just will. And by the way, God never creates crisis, but he allows crisis in our lives because sometimes crisis has a way of getting our attention. Some of us are going through testing right now that God is allowing because we're stubborn and we won't let him have our lives. I found a great quote from Mother Teresa. Listen, look at this. It says, you will never know God is all you need until he's all you have. Isn't that beautiful? Like you'll never know he's all you need until he's all you have. Listen, I'm trying to be helpful as a pastor to you. You don't have to get to the point of crisis. The reason why these stories are in the Bible are to help you to learn from them so you don't have to repeat history time and time again, right? Take an easier route on our journeys. So last week, if you were here, three of my friends from Austin came to church and it was so fun to see them. And uh, 
And so afterwards we went to lunch and they like barely made it. Like they got here at 10.50 a.m. And I knew they were gonna leave at five. So I'm doing the math, carry the one. You should have got here like an hour ago. And uh, so I start talking to them. Come to find out that they typed in Colonial Hill Baptist Church and they start driving and you know the GPS says, you're gonna get there really early. And they're thinking, hey, this is great. We're gonna be able to get breakfast. Maybe we can go to that Mrs. Kathy's that we've heard so much about. And so they're on their way and one of them goes, uh, they get to Waco. <laughs> Hang with me. And uh, the, the girl, <laughs> obviously, says, uh, guys, we're going east. And so the guy that's driving goes, yeah, I think we're just taking a back road. We're gonna head back west in a minute, back to... And she said, no, we're not. They went to Colonial Hills Baptist Church in Tyler, Texas, totally different church. And so they had to reroute and come to Snyder. And uh, I asked him, I said, how fast did you have to drive to get here being that far away? And he goes, he, well, let's just say he should have been arrested. Okay, like it's, it's really fast. Uh, can you imagine getting pulled over? Sir, why are you going that much above the speed limit? I gotta get to church, right? <laughs> Worship Jesus. Uh, <laughs> I want to make your route easier. You can get to Austin and get from Austin to Snyder through Waco. It's just unnecessary. I don't want that to happen to you, right? My point is we need to give God control of our lives. And Jacob eventually does. He has an encounter with God, a place where he met God. The Bible says that he met God face to face at a place called Peniel or, or uh, Peniel, however you want to pronounce it. If you meet God and you give him control, I promise you three things are going to happen. Three things are going to happen. Here's what Jacob would tell us. Here's the first one. Jot it down. Is the first thing is you're going to get a new strength. You're going to get a new strength. When you meet God and you give him control, you'll get a new strength. In other words, you don't have to rely on you supporting you all the time. Because that can get really exhausting. The only true happy place in your life is the place where you let God be your strength. Because you're going to find out that you can't really cut it out on your own strength anyway. Watch how it happens. This is uh, Genesis chapter 32. This is the New Living Translation, but kind of the climax of Jacob's life. And it says, this left Jacob all alone in the camp. So what actually happened just before this, he's actually divided his, his family and his possessions because Esau, remember the one that he bought the birthright from, he's coming after him and he's thinking, okay, he's gonna come kill me. And so if he kills me, he's going to kill just half my family. So I'm saying half my family and half my possessions this way, half my family, half my possessions this way. And he's all by himself. And a man came. And in the word, the, the, uh, in the Bible, the word man is translated as either God himself. It probably is Jesus, or at the very least, it's an angel of the Lord. A man or an angel of the Lord or God himself came and did what he's doing to a, a lot of you right now. He wrestled. He wrestled with Jacob. And for some of you, that's what every Sunday looks like. Oh, uh, I guess I'll go, right? It's just like this wrestling match. It's what every day looks like. You just find yourself wrestling God. Wrestled with him until the dawn began to break. And when the man saw, watch this, when the man or when God saw that you weren't going to give in, that you would not let him win, he touched Jacob's hip and popped it out of socket because he was trying to let him know, you think you're strong? But you're not that strong. Give in to me, Jacob. Give in to me. In fact, I don't know who I'm talking to today, but somebody here or somebody online, you're so, you're so reliant on yourself and it's wearing you out. Can I get an amen from somebody who's been there before? Like, it, it just, you just, you're trying so hard on your own merit and it's just exhausting. 
Some of you came to church today exhausted from your own fight. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 11, 28 and 29. He's come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Anybody who's carrying it by yourself, we know you're tired today. Come to Jesus. He says, I will give you rest. And you think, well, how would he give us rest? He'll just say, lay down, take a nap, relax. No, listen to the next part of the verse. Take my yoke upon you. In other words, you need to get back to work, but you need to get back to work in a different way. You need to take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. So take Jesus' yoke upon you. I want, I want you to keep working, but not the way you were working. I want you to do it with a different kind of strength. You're going to find a new strength. I actually studied the word yoke in this text. It has two meanings that you need to know. First of all, the word yoke, if you didn't know that, it's, it's not a piece of an egg. It's a, it's a piece of wood that has two slats come, cut out of it that you would uh, attach it to two cattle or two oxen, and they would work together in plowing the field, okay? So they would work in tandem so they wouldn't get off track with each other. But listen to me, in this word yoke, the original language doesn't just use the generic word yoke. It uses a different word yoke because there were two kinds of yoke. There's this general um, Israeli Walmart version, you know what I'm talking about, like the one size fits all. But the problem with that is because cattle and oxen, they're different. They have different bodies. And so you'd put it on them and every animal's built differently and would wear on their shoulders. So at the end of the day of plowing, the animals were bruised and bleeding. It hurt because you were working in your own strength. And that's not the word Jesus uses here. The word Jesus uses, the yoke is a well-managed custom fit yoke. So some farmers who really love their animals would go measure the chests of their animals, like their massive chests here. Don't laugh at that. Uh, make me feel bad. But they'd, they'd measure all that, measure the shoulders and measure the neck. And Jesus, being a carpenter, probably built several of these custom fit, perfectly fit yokes. Let me say it this way. Some of you are living a life that doesn't perfectly fit you. And it's the life you created for yourself. God has a yoke that will give you rest even while you're still plowing. You're still working, but you're doing it with a different kind of strength. He's yoked to you, and his burden is easy. His yoke is light. That, that, you're yoked to Jesus. And that's why all throughout the scripture, you'll see that when people come to God, one of the signs of God's presence in their life is they're rested. And listen, rest is not inactivity. Rest is that while I'm working, it's not wearing me out. That's what rest is. And that's why you get verses like, those who hope in the Lord, he will renew their strength and they will mount up with wings like, say it with me, eagles. You've heard that verse before. You know what's interesting about eagles? You ever thought about that verse? What's unique about an eagle and the way they fly? I'm gonna tell you the answer. They're flying without flapping. They don't have to flap their wings. They're getting the job done, but it's not work for them. It's like, what's up? How you doing? All right. It's not work. They just one simple. I went to a, a, a staff retreat at Canyon of the Eagles in Burnett, Texas. Burnett, Texas, and um, and there's some eagles there. And I remember looking up, and there was this eagle's nest about eight foot by eight foot. And about the time that I was looking up at that eagle's nest, um, the, this eagle. I mean, literally, just one, just. Whoosh, and then it just like, it just like did this. It didn't even flap again. It was just like hanging out. How you doing, right? Just hanging out and flying around. And it was just like the most beautiful thing. I got patriotic. My country tis. I was like, it's the most amazing thing, right? I mean, it was just, 
it was easy. Here's what's interesting about eagles. Listen to this. I actually studied how eagles fly. Before they leave the nest, they wait. Listen to this. They wait for what's called a thermal current. It's where the hot air actually rises. And what they do is they literally just kind of go off of it. And they really don't have to flap at all. They're flying without flapping because there's a strength that lifts them. Oh, this is good. This is about 67% better than what you're responding to right now. This is good preaching. There's something that's lifting them that's keeping them above the air. It's not their own strength. It's not all their own strength. And you look at other birds, man, they're working hard. <laughs> you ever seen a hummingbird? <laughs> I mean, they don't stop. And they stop for a minute and it's... And that's what some of your lives look like. You're going, Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. And God's like, you don't have to do that anymore, man. There's a strength that I can provide. You don't have to do this on your own. Small birds don't have that thermal current. He goes, I have, I have the Holy Spirit of God that's going to empower you and give you a strength that you don't have to rely on your own abilities anymore. You'll get a new strength when you give full control to God. I know, amen. I got a bird down here. I'm trying to help you. Here's the second thing that'll happen. And that is you'll get a new identity. That's not even a true statement. You don't get a new identity. You get the identity that God had for you from the foundation of the earth. Like he had an identity for you and, and it was the one you were meant to have before you went on your own way and started writing your own script. Look at the next verse in that text, Genesis 32, verse 27. This is, what is your name? Now, the angel knew his name, but he's going to make you come face to face with the identity that you created. He made him say it, Jacob. You know what Jacob means? Deceiver or trickster. Go back to birth, right? When, when, when he comes out, Esau comes out, he's clutching Esau's foot, his ankle, and, and parents go, well, look at that little trickster. Let's just name him trickster. Let's, let's name him deceiver. And so that's the name that he had. But watch what God says next. From now on, you'll be called Israel because you have fought with God and with men and have won. I didn't create you to be a deceiver. I didn't create you to be a trickster. From now on, you'll be called Israel, which means prince with God. You're a prince. I know you see yourself as this guy who's always manipulating to get his way. And if you'll let me, I'll turn you into a prince who fought with God and with men and have won. Look at me. God doesn't see you as you are. He sees you as who you could become. Amen. He doesn't see you as who you are. Look, put another way, God doesn't see you in actualities. He sees you as possibilities. That's what he sees. He's, this is what you should be. I know what you are, but that's not who. There's something greater for you. There's a script I've written, but, and I, I really know how to do your life a whole lot better because I created you. I want you to know, notice that all throughout scripture, God does this. He brings the best out of people, which means he wants to do it with you. Almost every place where God encountered pe people, he took the bad writing, the old identity that they had created on their own, the chapters they'd added to their book and replaced it with a correct identity. I want you to look at this one example, John 1, Andrew brought his summer, uh, brother Simon to Jesus and Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. Simon just means listener. He listens to God, but he doesn't do anything. And he goes, you'll be called Cephas, 
which also means Peter, which also translates as the rock. So you've been a listener, a listener of God. You didn't do anything. And I'm going to make you the rock. I'm going to build my church on people like you. I love that. I'm telling you, if you let God have control of your life, he'll write a new script for you, which is a script that was meant on your life from the very foundations. Here's the third thing. And that is you'll get a new joy. You'll get a new joy. We've had several um, deaths in our church recently. Um, that's hard. That's my least favorite part of being a pastor is walking with families through that. Um, I've been there myself and it's not fun. What I've discovered about joy is joy is not circumstantial. Joy is not external, it's internal. You can have joy regardless of what's going on circumstantially. In fact, the word happiness, the word happiness actually comes from the word circumstance. So happiness is completely dependent upon what's going on circumstantially in my life to determine whether I'm happy or not. But joy, joy is something much deeper. Joy is regardless of what's going on in my life, I've got this inner peace. I've got, I've got this excitement. I've got this happiness. It's deeper than happiness. I've given God my life and there's nothing that circumstances can do to me. There's nothing they can do to me. Now watch what happens. The story continues. Look at verse 29. Please tell me your name, Jacob said. Why do you want to know my name? The man replied. And then he blessed Jacob there. He blesses him. And the word blessed uh, is one of the most misunderstood words in scripture. Uh, a lot of people have mis, uh, erroneously translated it, mistranslated, I should say, the word to mean that you have lots and lots of money or lots and lots of things. It can mean that, but that's not what blessed means. Blessed, the word blessed, to be blessed, has nothing to do with your circumstances. To be blessed, it's the makarios in the Greek, is the word makarios. It literally means an internal joy. And Jesus used this word over and over and over in the Beatitudes in Matthew 5. He, when he's talking, he's giving the Sermon on the Mount, and he keeps using this word blessed. He's using the word makarios. He goes, you have this internal joy inside of you, like regardless of your circumstances. Look at Matthew 5, 6. Blessed, makarios, you have an internal joy, are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. What's the point? The point is give your life fully to God, and there's nothing this earth can do to you. You just have this, I'm just good, I'm good. Like, yeah, bad thing, I have bad days. I don't have a bad life. I have Makarios, I have this internal joy, I'm blessed. I'm blessed. I imagine before Jacob runs back into the stands, he would throw out some final encouraging remarks our way. You can write these down. I think he'd say, hey guys, hey everybody, brokenness precedes breakthrough. Brokenness precedes breakthrough. In other words, nothing can ever happen until you give in. Listen, God never, and I think some pastors unfortunately teach this incorrectly, God never expected perfection from you, ever. He doesn't want perfection, he just wants honesty. He never expected for you to go, hey God, did pretty good on my sins this week, got about 90% of them out of my life and I'm working on them, I'm gonna get them, I'm gonna get 100% for you. He never expected that. He just wants you to say, I need you. I have to have you. I can't do anything without you. He just wants honesty from you. Here I am, Lord, all of me. In fact, here's the way I like to think about it. We cannot be who God intends us to be and at the same time hold on to what we think we should be. 
those two things can't coexist. At some point, if I could give you a mental picture in your Christian life, it's for you to just look at God and go, okay, okay, you can have it. I give it all. That's the picture I want you to put in your head. All throughout scripture, God invites you to that place. I'm thinking about that place in Ezekiel where it says, hey, some of you need to come out here where I am. And the Bible says that some went out and they were ankle deep. They said, well, I, I, I want to be a Christian. I like the hell insurance. That's cool. Uh, I'm gonna, but I, I kind of want to have some control. I mean, I, I still feel like I'm in control because I'm just ankle deep. And then some went in, they were a little bit deeper, right? And they're like, this is, this is okay. I don't mind this. I like, I like going to church. I like reading my Bible. I, like my, I, st- I feel like I still, I still can move a little bit. And the Bible says the only place where life works is where your feet leave the bottom of that riverbed. When you lose control and you let God literally take you wherever he wants to take you. It's a really fun, it, it can be scary when you first do it, but then when you get in the midst of it, you're like, wow, God, God's plan was so much better than my own. What was my hesitation? Why did I not allow him to do that? So here's the choice, everybody. You can hold on to yourself or let God enrich your life in a way that you can't imagine. And that doesn't come from perfection, it comes from honesty. One of my favorite verses is Psalm 51, 17, which says, my sacrifice, O God, is coming to church on Sundays. Nope, that's not what it says. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. I love that. Not only does God not despise it, he's attracted to it. That's why 1 Peter 5, 5 and 6 says God opposes Anytime I see those two words uh, next to each other in scripture, I always want to see what's comes because I don't want to be that. God opposes what? The, the what? God opposes the pride. I don't want to be proud. God opposes me when I'm prideful. God opposes the proud, but he shows favor. Who does he show favor? Come on, somebody. He shows favor to the humble. Humble, say it with me. Yourselves. Say it again. Humble yourselves. Humble yourselves. Therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Humble yourself. Let me say it this way. You're gonna be humbled. <laughs> you can either humble yourself or let God humble you. Humility or humiliation. One of the two is gonna happen in your life. I just wanna humble myself before you. I wanna find favor with the Lord. Here's the second thing. Jacob would say to us an encouraging word as we leave. You must lose yourself to find yourself. You must lose yourself to find yourself. Your life is never going to be what you hoped until you let every bit of it go. Jesus is speaking to his disciples in Luke 9, verses 23 and 24, and he says, then he said to them all, said to all the disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, So he's not talking about a physical death because I can't physically die every day. He says, take up your cross daily. I want you to die to your will, to your ambitions, to your, you. I want you to die to you. Take up your cross daily and follow me for whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. You gotta lose your life to find your life. And again, that's really difficult to do. But once you do it, you go, Wow, I had no idea this is the abundant life he was talking about in John 10. This is the better life. I love to say, just give God one year. Give him a year. June to June. 
But you gotta run the play. You can't just come on Sundays and go, well, that didn't work for me. I've, never, I've, I've talked about it kind of being like a, a Lambo. I don't, I don't have a Lambo. It's, it's my dream car. You know what I'm talking about? This is the car in Dumb and Dumber that they purchase. And then he goes, hey, uh, that car, 275,000. Might wanna hang on to that one. Right, that, that car, that red car. Um, so let's just say for a minute that I had the keys to a Lambo. These aren't, they're the keys to my office. Sorry to disappoint you. Like, happy Father's Day. There was somebody that got really excited. They're <laughs> giving away cars. Um, but I had the keys to a Lambo and I said, hey, test drive this. Six months. And if you don't absolutely love it, you can give the keys back to me. Better yet, do it for a year. Try it for one year. And after a year, you, you think Ron's gonna come to me and say, I'm gonna go back to the Jeep. No, he's gonna say, I want the Lambo, right? Give it a year, but you gotta run the play. I want you to get involved in a small group. Find some community within our bigger community. I want you to come to Next Steps. Over 150 of you already have. Come on. And beginning next month, we're gonna put you on a team. We wanna get you on a team where you're serving in some capacity and we're advancing God's kingdom together here at 37th and El Paso. But you gotta run the play. You gotta get involved. Like I want you to go all in for one year and I promise, I've never met somebody that did it, that went all in for one year that came back a year from now and said, eh, it's just not for me. It is for you. I'm telling you, you will love it. But you gotta go all in. You gotta go all in. So I've tried it before. I don't think you went all in. I want you to go all in. You will seek me and you will find me if you seek me with all your heart. That's Jeremiah 29, 13. The eyes of the Lord are searching throughout the earth to strengthen those hearts who are fully committed to him. 2 Chronicles 16, 9. The greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind, with all, I want, an all, I want a holistic you. I want, all, I want you to go all in. Give me complete control. And I promise you, I, just trust me. Try it one year. I pro, if you test drive it for one year, I promise you're gonna go, I don't, I, what was I waiting on? This is the best life ever. Here's what you'll find. When you really go in, you're gonna lose your own life, but you're gonna find a life that is so much better than you could even possibly imagine. Go on this journey with us. In fact, don't allow what you think you want, which is really not that good anyway, to get in the way of who God made you to be. Because he has a plan for you, and you think you got a better plan, but I'm telling you, his plan is perfect because he made you. I know it's Father's Day and there are several guests here today and I know that you may not even live in Snyder, but I would just say go to church and don't just attend. I want you to belong. Be part of the family. Here's the last one. And that is when you find yourself on God's terms, you'll find fulfillment in a way you've never dreamed. I want you to see this last verse because this is really my invitation verse. In fact, this is actually part of our prayer today. And I really, as a pastor, I wanna say this to every one of you today. This is, this is Romans chapter 12, very familiar text, but I wanna use the message because I just love the way it's written. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you, take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. That's what I want you to do. Just say, God, here we go. Here's my marriage. Here's my career. Here's my kids. They're not even mine anyway. They're your kids. You just put them on loan to me and I'm managing them for this season, but I'm giving them back to you. 
Come on, parents. Some of you said, God, you can take them right now for Jesus' name. They've been rough today, right? But you just say, I'm just placing it before you. Look how it continues. It says, don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. And here's my closing thought for the whole day, and that is you will never know what life could have been until you hand it over to the one who created it. So give it to him. God, I give it, I, like, I've been 90-10. I'm going all in. How about we do that right now, everybody? Let's pray together. Father, together I've joined the church family, Lord, and we don't want to manage our lives. We're not good at it. And every time we do, we get tired and, and confused, and it's a mess. So God, we just offer ourselves. We're in church and we offer every part of who we are, our lives, our hobbies, our families, everything. We give it to you, God. And Lord, the only thing we really want is you. And we realize that when we do, God, when we give you everything, you bring life and fulfillment to us in a way we couldn't possibly imagine. Father, I pray for this church, some who are grasping onto their own lives, holding on tightly, give them the courage right now, right here to let go and give you control. And now with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here today and you say, read that message, describe to me. Maybe even Christians in the room, if you're really honest, you say, you know what, read, Jesus is not Lord. I'm Lord. I'm calling the shots. And my guess is chances are it's not working out well for you. For anybody who's ready to let go and really give Jesus everything, I wanna close in one more prayer for you. And I'm not gonna make you stand up. I'm not gonna call you to the front. I, I just want this to be between you and God. You can pray this right where you're seated. But I want you to say, I'm ready. Let's go. I'm ready to go all in today. Make your decision. I want you to acknowledge I'm giving my life fully to God today. If that's you, I wanna include you in this closing prayer. So I wanna know who I'm praying for. So here's what I'd love for you to do. Again, every head is bowed, every eye is closed. The TV cameras are not watching this I want you just to slip your hand up and say, Reed, would you pray for me? That's me. That's me. Awesome. 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 All over this place, there's hands. Awesome. Praise God. Be bold. Come on. That's it. Keep them up. Amazing. Let those hands down. Just pray this little prayer with me. You can say this over your, just whisper this over your, just mean it as the only thing. Say, Lord, forgive me for living my life my way. Today I ask you, to come and be my Lord. Get in the driver's seat. I give you full control because I trust you and I know you're for me. So with everything inside of me, I turn it over to you. Thank you for saving me and thank you for having a purpose for me. My life is yours in Jesus' name. And Lord, I celebrate with all the people who just made the best decision of their entire lives and we give you all the praise in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Come on, let's give it up real loud for all of those who made a decision today. There were a bunch. Come on, that's awesome. I love it. I love it.
That's why I do this for that moment. For those of you who would say, I, I need, I, I'm in. Try for a year. And next June, if you go all in, you test drive the Lambo and you say, I'm going back to the Ford. I'll, I'll, be, I'll be okay with I won't, I won't bother you. But I promise you, if you do run the play and you go all in, I mean all in, you'll say, why don't I do this sooner?